Um, so anyway, it's good to be with you and uh, really great to open this beautiful and familiar text with you this morning on what happens to be my seven-year wedding anniversary. Uh, so yeah, I know, hold the applause. Uh, but it, how fitting, right, to preach the, uh, the chapter on the love chapter uh, on the anniversary of the day that I pledged my life to Beth. Uh, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate, right, than to uh, preach or maybe be on vacation like Tim, I guess. That might be a better uh, way to celebrate. But I was thinking back on our big day, and I couldn't remember. I don't think we did, but I, I couldn't remember if we had this text read. Um, I don't think we did, but I'm sure many of you have heard 1 Corinthians 13 read at a wedding or something like that, right? And why not? It's a beautiful text. It's beautiful prose. It's powerful. Uh, it's perfect for a, a romantic or a significant setting like a wedding or an anniversary. And in fact, aside from John 3.16, it may be one of the most well-known passages in the New Testament. You don't, you don't really have to be a Christian to recognize these words about love, right? We read it at weddings. We, uh, we see it in greeting cards. We, um, we use it as home decor, right? A quick, a quick search on Pinterest this last week was actually very overwhelming. Uh, there's a lot of ways that this text is used. This section of scripture is used. And yet, well known by many today, uh, it may be one of the most misunderstood or misapplied passages in the New Testament. Because it's such a powerful picture of love, uh, we can easily miss its placement in, in the canon, in the letter, uh, and we can misapply it, right? We can fail to apply it correctly. And this is why, in some ways, we are committed at Christ Community as a teaching team to preaching through books of the Bible. Um, not only so we can't avoid passages that we don't want to preach on, but also so that we take, we take texts as they come. And we can't make them mean whatever we want them to mean. So, so if this isn't really, uh, isn't primarily a feel-good text for weddings or greeting cards or warm welcomes in your home, what is it about? What is it here for? What's Paul's main aim in this passage? We've been talking about spiritual gifts the last few weeks, right? And if you're a Christian, you have been given a, a supernatural ability, in some ways, to serve Jesus and his church, uh, that's, that's what a spiritual gift is. And we, we have gifts that we as a church, we as the body of Christ, should discover and use. But we've learned, right, that our gifts are not for us. Our gifts are not given to us like a, like a Christmas gift or a, a birthday gift. They're meant for the good of others. And this is where Tim left us last week. We're all needed in the body of Christ, uh, the local church. We need one another. And we know that Paul had to go there because the Corinthians had some very toxic ideas of what it meant to be people of the Spirit, to be spiritual. They thought that those with certain gifts, like prophecy or the ability to speak in tongues or faith or wisdom, those were more important than others. They were more needed in the church. So Paul corrects this with this body metaphor, uh, which is brilliant, I think. Uh, one body, many parts. One body, many members that all work together. There's unity and diversity in the body. And we all have a specific part to play in the church. Uh, we belong together and we belong to Christ. And I love this, what Tim said last week. Even if you're a toenail, right, you're, a t you're Christ's toenail. Uh, that, for me, that made, that made perfect sense. And that, that, I think, is the summary of Paul's argument to this point. We are the body of Christ. One body, different parts, many gifts. That's part of what it means to be people of the Spirit. But now Paul is going to drill down to the core of what it means to be spiritual. 
of what it means to have the Spirit, to be Spirit people. And in his words, we, we come to the more excellent way. And that is the way of love. So Paul's main point for this morning in our text is this. Our gifts, our gifts are only as good as our love. Our gifts are only as good as our love. And if we understand this passage in its own habitat, right where it is in the text, it's gonna, it should challenge us. At least it has, it's challenged me uh, this week. It's got, a, it's got a little more bite than I remember 1 Corinthians 13 having. Uh, so let's pause now. Let's pray um, that God would help us to understand this rightly and then, and then apply it correctly. Let's pray. God, thank you for this beautiful morning, for this church, God, for calling us together uh, and for gifting us in various ways. Um, thank you that you've given us your spirit. And thank you that uh, through your spirit, we can understand your word. God, I pray that where I speak my own words, God, I pray they would be quickly forgotten and fall away. But where I, where I speak your words after you this morning, God, I pray that your spirit would teach and convict and clarify uh, and ultimately um, glorify yourself um, and make us more like Christ. Praise things in Christ's name. Amen. Like I I already said, we've been talking about gifts. Uh, That's where this passage belongs in that discussion. But but really, Paul also intends to say a few things about love. It's not just about spiritual gifts. This is the love chapter. And so if our gifts are only as good as our love, we need to know a little bit more about love. Uh, So here's what he says. First, he says, love is better than greatness. Love is better than greatness. Second, love is something you do or or another way of saying that, it's more than warm feelings. And third, love is here to stay. So that's our, that's our roadmap uh, for this morning. So first, let's, let's look at this. Love is better than greatness. Look at verses one through three with me. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love... I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So Paul goes right, he goes right at some of the, the most prized gifts in this church, in the church of Corinth. Tongues, prophecy, knowledge, uh, faith. And see, Corinth is one of those rare spots in the ancient world where social mobility was actually possible. It, it attracted a certain kind of person, like a, like a musician in Nashville or a comedian in Chicago or uh, actors in L.A. There were, there were people in this city that were looking to achieve greatness. And these gifts, thought these new Christians, these new Christians in Corinth, these gifts would make them great. Uh, they thought these gifts would make them super spiritual. But Paul, Paul isn't as impressed uh, with the gifts. He says, I could do all these amazing things, achieve great things in my ministry, and sacrifice everything I have, but if I don't love, it doesn't matter. Love is better than greatness, Paul says. And it's probably worth defining that word, love, right? We toss it around to mean a lot of different things, uh, but, but Paul has a very specific meaning in mind. And he uses the word uh, agape here, which is rare in Greek literature broadly, but it's very common in the New Testament. It's God's sacrificial love for people with no conditions. It's God's sacrificial love. 
Uh, we tend to love that which is lovely. We tend to be attracted to that which is attractive. But that's not, that's not agape love. Uh, agape love is, is God's love for sinners. Right? The love that led Jesus to the cross. Um, it's, it's seeking, very simply, it's seeking the benefit of others, even when they're not very lovely. It's a type of love that we actually can't conjure up in ourselves. Uh, we need it to come from God. In fact, it's a, it's a work of the Spirit. It's the central work of the Spirit. So Paul says you, can't do, you can do all these great things, employ all these amazing gifts, but if you don't seek the benefit of others, it doesn't matter. You're not spiritual. You're not people of the Spirit. You can speak in tongues, but if your life isn't characterized by love, uh, it's just noise. Your, your most prized gift, speaking in tongues, if you don't love others, is just a noisy nuisance. Uh, with, the, with the drums up here this morning, I was, I was going to just take a stick and hit one as, as hard as I could and just let it resonate and annoy everyone, right? And it would have been terrible. Uh, and that would have been Paul's point, right? Uh, I'm, you're, I'm sure you're glad I didn't do that because that would have been just awkward. Uh, but that's Paul's point, right? It's, it's a noisy nuisance. Tongues without love is just noise. And some, some have the gift of prophecy, right? The ability to speak forth God's word. Or faith so intense that they could move mountains. Uh, which, which I think would be pretty impressive. We'd be pretty impressed with that kind of person, right? We'd admire that gift. But even if you, ex- you know, that, Paul says that's a nobody, right? If you don't have love, you're a nobody. A zero, and that is, that is strong language. Even if you express the very extremes of devotion, you give all you have away to the poor, you sacrifice your body for what you believe, if you don't have love, you're bankrupt. You gain, you gain nothing. Now, Paul's not down on the gifts. I know that's what it sounds like right now, the way I'm talking about them. He, he, he's not down on the gifts. He urges the Corinthians to desire the gifts. He longs for these things to build up the church. But it doesn't matter what gift you have, how well you use it, who's impressed by it. If your life is not characterized by love, it's a less, it's a less than worthless. And this, this has been a really uncomfortable section for me, frankly, as someone who uh, honestly spends time trying to get better at things and be great and use these gifts uh, and often leaves love up to chance. This has been a a challenging section for me. God's not impressed with most of the things that impress me, frankly. And for a gifted conversation, and I say this with humility and grace, this should be a sobering text. You know, many gifted, successful churches drift at precisely this point. As a pastor, I've been challenged uh, in the last year by uh, the demise, the downfall of one of the most impressive churches in America. Uh, They they had a membership of almost 15,000 across 15 campuses in five different states. And their lead pastor uh, was one of the most gifted preachers I've ever heard. Uh, By by most measures, he had achieved ministry greatness. So So why did his church crumble? Why did it fall? It wasn't for a lack of giftedness, that's for sure. And it wasn't even like a moral implosion. Honestly, by by all accounts, it's because the lead pastor was a jerk. He he had a tendency to be arrogant, to 
be abrasive, to be abusive even with his words. And in other words, he, did, he didn't have love. And please hear me, I'm not, I do not mean to throw stones or tear down a brother, uh, but I share this to highlight really the, the significance of Paul's point here. That without love, uh, we are nothing, especially for people like me. This is an important point. You can't replace love with greatness. You just can't do it. And deep down, we already know this, right? I mean, let's use this, use this diagnostic with me. Fast forward to your funeral, however many years down the road that is. What do you want said in your eulogy at your funeral? What would you want, what would you want said about you? Would you rather be remembered as being great, as successful, uh, profitable, famous, or as loving? Uh, obviously, we'd like, we would like both, right? But just for the sake of the illustration, just work with me. What would you want said? Oh, he was a cold man. But man, he really moved the business to new heights, right? She wasn't one for kind words, but, but she knew how to stretch a dollar. No, nobody really wants, nobody wants that said at their funeral. He was a kind man who was never too busy for others. That's, that's a little closer, right? She was always there. She was always there when we needed her. And we even stretch the truth at funerals, right? We say these things about people when they're not even true because we know that's what matters. The way we love, that's what counts. On that day, no one's going to care how great you were, but they are going to remember your love. They're going to remember how you cared for them. And this insight, it should transform the way we see our spiritual gifts, uh, because remember, these are still important. Spiritual gifts are still important. Uh, and if you're new, we've been exploring uh, the different ways that we discover our gifts as a church and employ them in the church. And, and we've actually put a spiritual gifts assessment tool on our website that you can take, and it'll spit out you know, your top three gifts and, and a number of others. And if I'm honest, when I took this test, um, I didn't go out there I actually went out there looking for it to affirm the different areas where I thought I was great, which is awful. Um, I'm sure most of you are, are less self-centered than I am, but I, I can tell you what my first thought wasn't. It wasn't, oh, I, wonder, I wonder what it's going to say I can use to love people with. I mean, it's, that wasn't my first thought. And this is where Paul's pushing us. It's where, he's, it's where he's been pushing me, right? Love is better than being great because greatness without love is nothing. Just look at a eulogy, right? So take, take the more excellent way. That's what Paul says. And he goes on to say more about this excellent way. In, in verses four through seven, Paul, he shows us the stuff that love is made of. He gives us the character of love. Listen, just listen in as I read uh, these familiar verses again. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. There it is, right? That's easy, pretty easy list to live out, right? Check, check, check. Uh, yeah, I didn't think so. Uh, wasn't easy when I read it. This is, again, another area where God's been, where there was a little bite to this text for me. Because he gives us the character of love, namely that it's something you do or don't do. Uh, love is a choice. 
And in, in the original language, every item in this list, I think there's 15, every single item is in the present tense verb form, which is a fancy way of saying that these are things that we are to, to practice habitually. These are, these are meant to be uh, things that characterize the way we live all the time. Christian love isn't really about warm feelings uh, or emotions, but it's, it's an action, it's choice. It's located in the will. I can, I can tell, uh, I mean, many of you are probably tracking with me, but this, is, this isn't really how our culture normally thinks about love, right? And if, I, if we were to rewrite this section, um, just indulge me for a moment. If we rewrote this section, this is what I think it might sound like. Love holds on until it doesn't. Love says what you want to hear. Love should come easy. And its goal, really, should be to grow my own happiness and boost my self-worth. When you forget that, love might be irritable and resent you for it, because it's really about me. Love is surprised at disagreement and rejoices in, I told you so. Love bears some things, maybe even most things, but just not that one thing. And don't expect love to endure all things. It might be an overstatement, but I don't think it is by a long shot. We've made love something that it was never designed to be, namely about feelings, my feelings, my happiness, me, me, me. I'm not saying feelings are never important, they are, but we've made them in many ways all important. And God's definition of love is very different from ours. Uh, Love ought to be satisfying at times, but if you look at this list, there's not a word in there that hints, that even hints at personal gratification. So here's, here's what love is. Uh, we're going to walk through this list. This is love in marriage and family and friendships in the church. This is God's definition of love. It's patient. It waits. Uh, the, meaning, the meaning of this word in the Greek is uh, it suffers long. It is, is long suffering, which sounds fun, right? The first word in God's definition of love says it's going to hurt. It's going to be hard. It doesn't always feel good, but love is patient. And it's kind. Love is long-suffering and kind. And this, what really struck me this week, this is who God is, right? These first two words of describing love, this is who God is, right? All over the Old Testament, he is slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This is who God is. It's the heart of the good news that we believe, that God holds back wrath and he pours out grace in our lives. Love doesn't envy or boast. Uh, Me loving you means I don't want what you have, and I don't brag about what I have, right? And this, is, that, this has been a tough point for me. <laughs> this one hits close to home. It does not envy or boast. It actually prefers what's, it prefers what's best for the others. The biggest slice, the most applause, the cooler gift, right? It's not me first, but love, is, love humbly says you first. It seeks the best of others. And that really is the essence of Christian love, It's not self-seeking, but always looks to the benefit of others. Even, as Jesus said, as Jesus taught, even our enemies. That's what love is. It's not irritable, easily angered, or resentful. Love uh, doesn't sweat the small stuff or the big stuff, right? Love is quick to forgive. It doesn't keep score. And it doesn't celebrate evil, but delights in the truth. It's not okay with injustice or abuse or harm, even for those that we think deserve it, right? 
Love always seeks justice and redemption. That's what's beautiful about Christian love. Love is a choice of how to see things, how to hope, and how to stand beside each other, even when life pulls us apart. That's, that's love. And as I, as I read this impossible definition, uh, knowing that love is a decision, that it's something I do, I'm hit with the question over and over, am I, will, am I willing to work at this? Am I willing to work at love? Am I going to make these choices? Not in a way that merits any kind of standing before God. I want to be clear on that. We don't work at things to make ourselves better before God. But it does take work, right, to love. Something we do. But we like to think that love should come easy. But you can't, you can't read this without being struck with the ridiculous amount of work that it's going to take to live like this. You know, some have suggested actually putting your name in the place of love in this, you know, Andrew is kind, Andrew is patient, Andrew is kind, Andrew does not envy, Andrew does not boast, which uh, doesn't take long for that to go terribly wrong, uh, for that, for to realize this is not true of me. Uh, it's going to take some real spirit-powered work for this to characterize my life, mostly because I, I usually don't feel like it, I usually don't feel like loving like this. And it may even seem fake uh, to do these things, but, but that's the definition of love, the biblical definition. It's not being fake or pretending. It's, it's actually loving to choose love when you don't feel it. Love is something you do. Besides, nobody's impressed uh, with you, you loving somebody that is easy to love, right? Good for you, you know. Here's a cookie. <laughs> Way to go. You love someone that's lovely, uh, but when you keep loving when you don't feel like it, when you choose to seek the benefit of your enemy, that's Christian love. And God hasn't left us to figure this thing out on our own. Uh, he, when we begin to follow Jesus, he gives us his spirit, whose primary work is to make us into loving people. He gives us gifts, yes, but he's making us more like Christ. So let me suggest one simple next step before we before we move on to the last point, because my fear is this. Um, when we read this list, we'll just get overwhelmed, and then, and then we'll just forget it, you know, right? I mean, does anyone else feel overwhelmed when you read this and think, this is what my life is supposed to look like? Yeah, I hope you do. I, I mean, I do. Um, so, so this week, just, just take one or two of these items uh, and, and say, this week I'm going to fill in the blank out of love. And maybe, maybe ask someone you trust to help you do this. Um, but just pick one or two and do something. Even, even if you don't feel it. Actually, maybe especially if you don't feel like it. Uh, real love is something you do. So are we willing to work at it? Are we willing to work at this kind of love? Because our gifts, remember, are only, only as good as our love. Well, the final thing that that Paul says about love is that it's here to stay. Love is here to stay. Look at verses 8 through 13 with me. It says, Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man... I gave up childish things, for now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. 
So faith, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three. But the greatest of these is love. Every spiritual gift we've been given, says Paul, uh, in a sense has a shelf life, right? It will, it will expire at one point. And one commentator wrote, I mean, it's just, it's simple. He said, they, the spiritual gifts, are imperfect provisions for an imperfect world rendered unnecessary when perfection comes. Uh, our gifts will fade away, Paul says, like a newborn that, become, that becomes an adult. Uh, and with a newborn at home, I think we have a picture. I'm just going to keep showing pictures because uh, it's great. Uh, but with a newborn at home, uh, this makes perfect sense to me. This, the fact that, right, we should become adults and things should stop happening. Uh, there are things that Evie does right now that I hope she grows out of someday. Uh, and just a few off the top of my head, one, she nurses all the time. Uh, like a lot, and thank goodness that's something we stop doing as adults. Um, she sleeps 16 hours a day, which many of you are thinking, that sounds great. I wish that didn't stop. Um, she screams when she, she's hungry. She, she needs someone to wipe her butt. Uh, she, we have to bathe her and change her and soothe her. Uh, should I go on, right? All these things that we have to do with newborns, I think you get the picture. These are things that should fall away when we become healthy adults, hopefully. And so it is with the gifts, says Paul. They'll fade away when the time is right. Prophecy will pass away. Tongues will cease. Knowledge and faith will exit when they're no longer needed. But we never outgrow love. Love never ends. Love is here to stay, even when our imperfect world is made perfect. Now, there's a, there's a debate as to what Paul means uh, by the perfect. And without getting lost in the weeds, in the argument. I'm, I'm convinced he's, he's referring to Jesus and his return when Jesus comes again. Uh, that's the expiration date for the gifts, so to speak, when Jesus comes back, when the perfect comes and the imperfect falls away. When he returns, as he promised, everything we hope for, right, will become certain. All of our faith, all of our faith will become sight. And we won't need prophecy or knowledge or tongues any longer. But love, love will remain. And it's only going to get better. At last, we will see Jesus face to face. No longer as, as those looking in a dim mirror. You know, in Corinth, they, they were known for making these mirrors out of metal that were just a polished metal. You could kind of see yourself, but it wasn't very clear. That will pass away. We will see fully when Jesus comes, as those who see face to face. We will know him fully, just as he knows us now. We are fully known. We will, we will know just like that. And isn't that, isn't that an amazing thought, right? Finally, we will have the capacity to fully, known, to fully know and be known. No more hiding behind a facade of, of greatness. No more sin and shame. No more need to prove ourselves. Just perfect love between God and his people. But we don't have to wait until forever comes, sometime down the road. We don't have to wait for that to love. Love is here right now. uh, In the tension of this already not yet kingdom that God is establishing in the world. Love is here. Love should characterize us now. So how? How do we love like this today? Love is something we must do, yes, but, but first, it is someone we must receive. Jesus, Jesus is the one person who embodies all of this. 
Uh, if, if we re, I'll rewrite this passage one last time. Uh, Jesus is patient and kind. He does not envy or boast. He's not arrogant or rude. He does not insist on his own way. He is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. He is the truth. Jesus bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. By our normal definitions, Jesus was anything but great, right? Is anything but great. He rejected fame, fortune, power, and all earthly uh, forms of success. He could have had it all, yet he chose the way of love. He loved you and me all the way to a bloody cross uh, and an empty tomb. And he's coming back to make it even better. And this is, people, this is just a nice story, right? You and I are loved like this. And when we're loved like this, we're free to love others. We have what we need to love in the way we're called to love. That's the only way we can love with this kind of love is if we've first been loved by God. We receive God's love in Christ. That's how we love like this today. We experience the kind of love that we're called to give And we let the Spirit do his work in us. That's what it means to be spirit people. So let him work in us to change us into the likeness of Christ. Jesus is kind and patient. As the Spirit makes us more and more into the image of, of Christ, we can love like this. Love is better than greatness. It's more than warm feelings. It's something we do. And it's here to stay in Christ. May we use our gifts and love until Jesus returns to make all things new. Let's pray.